0: Man, thank you for coming today. Hopefully, I'm going to, um, in the next hour, talk to you about something that is that is very near and dear to my heart. You know, I grew up in a missions family. How many of you were here for the last session? <sighs> this is uh, your practice in grace. All right. It is very difficult. Um, especially with my dad's stories and all the things and the, you know, the humor that was at the beginning and then, and then the serious nature as well. But that humor, you probably will not laugh as much in here as you did. It is a very difficult act to follow, but I'm glad you're here anyway. And if you all leave before the session is over, I'll just shut up and I'll go back to the booth and, and we'll be good. You know, missions is part of my family. It's something that, um, I grew up with. People ask me a lot of times, well, what's it like being Steve Saint's son? Or what's it like being Nate Saint's grandson? What is all that about? You know, what's it like to have family, you know, part of your family who killed, you know, your own grandfather? And you know, it's something that, uh, I mean, it's, it's my normal. It's just normal. But you know, so much... Time, energy, and effort is put into mission trips. I'm all about missions. I love missions. I love to talk about missions. That's one of the things that I get to do, especially now that my dad um, has had this injury. I end up becoming the spokesperson for ITAC, getting to travel around and, and challenge people in the area of missions. And as you know, I mean, this is what this conference is about. But so much time, energy, and effort and finances go into two weeks a year. Planning and more planning and meetings and all of these things that go in and the amount of money that we spend to go to another part of of the world and serve for two weeks. And we come back and for two weeks or maybe even two months, we're just, man, we have the spiritual high. But we spend so much on the two weeks a year that we lose sight of the other 50 weeks. But you know what? Christ has not called us to ministry two weeks a year. He's called us to be missionaries wherever we are planted. To serve Him and to be reflecting His light into a dark and dying world. And as my dad pointed out in the last session, there are more missionaries coming here to this country than to any other country in the world. And yet we have so many Christ followers here that if we would just become intentional in the other 50 weeks, we wouldn't need all those missionaries coming because of the church, Christ church here, if we would get outside the doors of the church and actually live like the church is supposed to live, We wouldn't be in the situation that we're in today. So, this today, we're going to talk not about the two weeks, we're going to talk about the other 50 weeks. How can you and I be mission minded right here at home? You know, growing up in missions and, and having parents who instilled a lot of biblical values and principles inside of me. You know, when I got to college, it was a I went to the University of Florida. Um, that's those people that go like this and lose in the Sugar Bowl to Norm. I don't know if Norm's in here. Norm, are you in here? Okay, good. Otherwise, he would, be, he would be giving me a hard time. He has for the last year. Um, but, you know, we have been called. We have been called to be the light of Christ. Now, it's not actually the, any light inside of us, right? It's actually, we're just like the moon. We reflect the light of Christ. And that's something that, um, don't show the picture yet, but I have, a, I have several kids. I'll, show, I'll talk about them a little bit later. But as we're driving at night, my kids will look outside the car and, and if there's a bright moon, do you know what they do? Dad, do you see the moon? you see how bright it is? And of course, then I have to try to figure out where this is without hitting another car. And I look at it and man, it's bright. Do you know what happens when the moon, when you can't see it, maybe it's a cloudy night or it's a new moon. And so you really don't see anything. They never call my attention to a dark moon. But yet here, as the church in North America so often, you know, we're dark because we're not reflecting the light of Christ into the world that so desperately needs it. So as I began to tell you and got sidetracked, I have a passion for helping people. While my parents instilled these biblical values into me, it wasn't, I really didn't see needing people and hurting people until I got into college. And I saw people who were my age, who were struggling my age back then, who were struggling with various areas of of life. And one of the things that I have had a passion about is finances. Helping people to just simply be intentional in the area of their finances. There's a bad word that we have in our culture today. It's called a budget. Right? Well, this, this really hit home when I was talking to a friend of mine In college, he had come over to our apartment complex. We were swimming in our pool. And he started bragging to me that he had $1,200 left from his student loans for that semester. And that semester was just wrapping up. And so he told me how he went and he bought a $1,200 stereo system for his apartment. And I'm just sitting there. This doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. How in the world do you take money that you borrowed... And you go buy a $1,200 stereo system. Now, I would have liked to have a $1,200 stereo system in my apartment. But being, growing up in the family that I did, my mind went to, man, how much interest is he going to pay? And for how long is he going to actually pay for a $1,200 stereo system for his apartment? It didn't make any sense. Well, once I came out into the business world, and I began to work, and through, my, through work and also through my church... I began to help people in the area of finances, setting up a budget, just things that my parents had taught me. As Dave Ramsey says, man, these are the things that your grandparents did, right? And I just began to see, help people. Okay, man, in in three years, you can be totally out of debt. And in five years, you can have, you know, a nice size uh, emergency fund and all of these things taken care of. And it shocked me how, how people could see how they could be successful in the area of finances and yet they wouldn't stick with it. They could see it written out on paper in black and white and they just would choose not to stick with it. And it, it didn't make sense. Until I realized a principle that I, I really want you to take with you today. But before I tell you that principle, let me tell you a little bit more. That was just like a, you know, now you're hungry for a principal, right? Hopefully you're waiting for one. Hopefully you'll, this is one that you want to write down. But I, after I, I had gotten done with college and I got into the business world and all of these people, I'm trying to help them. Well, then I was asked to join iTech to begin a new division of iTech that focused on the North American church. Working with the North American church to challenge our mission strategies using what my dad mentioned in the last hour, the Missions Dilemma, which if you have not been through the Missions Dilemma, you need to. It's available at our booth and online as well. But we would go to all these different countries taking the tools that we had developed, the, the medical and dental and vision. And you know what? It was great to go. But every time I came back into this country, do you know what I found? I found just as much pain as what I was seeing in other countries. It just looked different. It wasn't in dental and medical and vision. It was in things like finances and in careers and families that were falling apart and are falling apart. And there's problems with the physical area of life and socially and intellectually as well as spiritually, which is a universal problem. So I was asked to join iTech to begin a new division that focused here. And in not just challenging the mission strategy, but equipping the believers here, equipping Christ's church, Christ's followers with tools that will enable us here as the church to get outside the doors of the church and live like the church and meeting people where they hurt. Well, we didn't know what that looked like. We didn't know where to start. And so we started in the area of finances. We decided to, to offer, you know, we had created a four week finances course, but we decided to offer Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, highly recommend it. Um, we decided to offer that in a public venue instead of in the church. Because normally it's offered in church buildings. And so we offered it, and we talked to the county, got permission to do it, and handed out over 600 flyers door-to-door, talked to many, many people. And so many of those people said, this is exactly what we need. Well, the day came when we were going to start that. And you know what? Guess how many people showed up? From the community, not even a single person showed up. Not one. There were people from other churches that showed up because their church offered it on a different night that didn't work for them. And we're like, okay, something's wrong. It costs $100. Maybe that's the problem. So then we decided to offer our four-week free finances course through the public library system. And we handed out over 500 flyers to government-subsidized housing and apartment complexes within a one mile radius of the apartment, of the, of the library. And we did it for over 500. Guess how many people showed up? One. And here's the principle. We realized actually two things. The first thing we realized is people are not just hurting in the area of finances or careers. They're hurting in every area of life. The second one, here's your principle. People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Let me say that again. People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. So we, just, we took a step back and said, okay, what we need to do is we need to develop a course that really covers every area of life. And I mentioned them before. Let me mention them again and then we'll go through them a little bit. Finances. Careers. Family. Physical, social intellectual, and, of course, spiritual. Now, our goal was to equip the church so that the church could get outside the doors of the church. And so what we did is we studied all the problems. We looked at statistics up and down, left and right, of our country today, of the culture in which we live. And we looked at it, and two-thirds of families, that, that or two-thirds of marriages that end in divorce cite money problems as the reason. On the news, we were looking and, man, people are, are losing their jobs, losing their homes. And we said, man, look at all these statistics. Then we looked at the physical area of life. Two-thirds of North Americans, of U.S. citizens, or people living in this country, get no regular exercise. Two-thirds of dieters regain their lost weight within one year. 95% regain the weight within five years. And it goes on and on and we're just looking at all the problems. Most college graduates do not read another single book after they graduate. Not one. (laughs) TV and internet has taken up... The average North American today watches almost three hours of TV Every single day. That does not count the time that they're on their smartphone, surfing the internet, or any other media. Video games. It's a huge thing. We work with our college ministry. It shocks me at how many college students, how much video game time they spend. It's crazy. And then, do you know what? So I looked at the culture, but then I looked inside the church. And guess what I found? there's no difference. Not even a single... It all looked the same in every category. But yeah, we've been called to be the light of Christ into a dark and dying world. And how? How is the, dark, how is the world going to be attracted to the light in the church if there's no difference that they can see? And so, so we said, okay, we need to develop something that covers everything. And it needs to start inside the doors of the church and then work its way out into the community through a process that, I mean, is ultimately it's discipleship. Jesus put in to practice discipleship, which is a multiplication scheme. It is not an addition. It is a strategy of multiplication. I disciple one person. But see, a true disciple, as my dad mentioned in the last hour, is not somebody who can do what I do. Or do what I teach them to do. A disciple of somebody who can also then disciple somebody else. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 Teaching faithful men, as Paul told Timothy, teach faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. And so we said, how do we do this? Well, we got to start inside the church. And we started, we looked at finances. And we developed a curriculum. And in the finances, what we do is we look at our Budgets. Income and expenses. Because it's always a good thing when income exceeds expenses, right? But which do you have most control over? What do we have most control over? Income? Expenses, right? Because income can, as we've noticed in the last few years, income can drastically be changed. But only you decide what money you're going to spend. And we talk about savings. We talk about a budget. Now, there was a story, and man, this is gonna I'm gonna try to speed through this because there's a lot of material to cover, but there was a story about some kids who lived in an apartment complex. This apartment complex was right next to a busy highway. And they had a playground that was right outside the apartment complex, right next to the highway. And there were two boys living in that apartment complex. One, he was fearless. He wanted to go out and play, but his parents said no because they knew that he would somehow get himself out on the highway and get killed. The other boy was very timid. His parents would let him go out because they knew he'd be very careful, but he didn't want to go out because he figured, hey, I could get hit. But then one day, do you know what? The apartment complex put a fence around the playground. And now both boys felt the freedom and their parents had had the permission to go out and play because they knew then now they were safe. And that ultimately is what a budget is. People think that a budget is a restricting thing. No, it actually, a budget brings freedom. Because as long as you stay within the confines of that fence, you know what? You can operate freely. It's only when we're outside the fence that there's a problem. And we talked about savings. Man, getting an emergency fund. My wife, see for me, Money, I'm, an, I'm a money nerd, okay? I can talk to you about a budget for hours, and it thrills me. My wife, when we sit down to talk for a budget, within 30 seconds, her mind has gone to jo- She literally is transported into Joanne Fabrics or Hobby Lobby. It's just how it works. And I can tell she's not with me. But there's a place for budget and for savings. See, for my wife, savings brings security, Because, now hopefully, my dad is not going to fire me anytime soon. But if he would, you know what? I have an emergency fund set up so that my wife doesn't have to worry where the food's going to come from. And there's some security that that brings. If an air conditioner goes out, if the car breaks down, whatever may happen, it brings security. And then we talk about debt. Now, I have a definition in studying the Word of God. I went to a four-year seminary through our church. And I love to study the Word. I teach on a regular basis through to our um, college and career singles. And I love it. But I came up with a biblical definition of debt. Now this is my definition. Take it with a grain of salt if you want. Here's my version of debt. Debt is telling God that He's not doing a good enough job in taking care of me. Because the Word of God promises that my God shall supply all my needs. Now it does not say that He's going to supply all my wants. And so debt happens when my wants get ahead of where God wants me to be. That's debt. And we talk about various types of debt. Now, credit cards. I don't want to step on any toes. I'm just telling you this is my experience, okay? I'm not trying to impose what I think on you um, Here's the deal. Uh, we started this life coaching, um, which is what the curriculum is called. And my buddy Jim, who works with me, um, I used credit cards because I got cash back on my credit cards. Now, I paid them off every month. Never had a balance. Never did that. So I was a responsible creditor or whatever. And Jim said, Now, now Jamie, you sit down and you talk to people all the time about not having credit cards. And yet you have credit cards. So ultimately, are you really telling people that when they handle money as well as you handle money, now they can have credit cards again? I said, okay. Spirit of God working through others telling me, all right. So what I did is I decided I canceled my credit cards. And I told my wife, I said, Hun, we need to cancel our credit cards. And she said, well, what if there's an emergency? And I had to very calmly and very um, in very clear terms, because she doesn't like talking about finances, I had to explain to her that that's why we have an emergency fund. So what we do is we make this transfer online, and she understands how that works, and we take money from the emergency fund and put it into the checking account. Then we go with our debit card and we pay for it with our debit card, and do you know what? It's taken care of. She said, you can do that? <laughs> yeah, it works great. But so many people struggle in the financial area of life that we need to, we need to cover that. But it's not just finances, it's also in career. And in career we talk about their current employment. What do you do right now for an income? But we also then challenge people to work in their strengths because God has made you very unique. You have talents and abilities and passions unlike anybody else. And God made you for a specific purpose. He wants to write your story. And He knows better how you're put together than you know. But we recommend people doing either a disc personality profile or a Myers-Briggs. And by that, by, by just kind of asking yourself the questions, do I prefer this or this? You kind of figure out how God made you. And what some of those strengths and natural abilities and passions are. And by doing that, you can now find a job Or I talked to a lot of our college, young college students and challenged them to do those tests to find out what career path they should take through school. Because there's nothing more disheartening than I was talking to a lady in Atlanta. We were staying, a few of us were staying with these two sisters there. And uh, the the sister was a pharmacist and she came home and I oftentimes ask people, do you like your job? So I asked her, I said, do you like being a pharmacist? And her answer shocked me. She said, no, I hate it. I said, well, why don't you do something else? And she said, well, I've gotten used to the lifestyle that it affords me. There's nothing more sad to hear that somebody is stuck in a job that they hate simply because they've gotten used to the lifestyle that it affords them. And so we talk to people about working in their strengths and and about the employee-employer relationship. There's probably a lot of people in here who are on the employer side and probably a lot who are on the employee side or will one day be on one of those sides. I've been on both sides of that that equation. And you know what? You will set yourself apart as either an employee or an employer if you do some basic things. As an employee, showing up on time. It's amazing. Just showing up on time and actually doing eight hours of work for eight hours of pay or 10 hours of work for 10 hours of pay, You will set yourself apart from virtually everybody else. Now, everything I'm going to talk to you about and everything that's in our life coaching curriculum are based on principles from the Word of God. But when I sit down with somebody from outside the church, you know what? The curriculum itself is not preachy at all. You don't see any Bible verses. You see, you'll see some quotes. You'll see a lot of questions to try to help somebody answer questions in their own life to help them set and achieve goals in each of these areas of life that we're going to talk about. Because there's something about when you become intentional about a particular area of life, man, stuff, and you write goals down. Anybody have goals, written goals? Okay, a few people in the room. Um, In sales, we were always told you need to plan your work and work your plan. Right? That's That's how it works. But if we don't have a plan, if we don't know which direction we're going in, how are we going to know if we end up there? We have to have goals. And this whole curriculum is designed to help people set and achieve goals in each and every area of life. Because once the end goals, by the way, are specific, they're measurable, they're attainable, they're realistic, and they're timely. Now, if you want an acronym for that, that's SMART. Specific, measurable, realistic, or A. Um, achievable realistic and timely and they're also written because if you had, there's something magic that happens when you put a goal down on a piece of paper and you refer to it often and you actually hit it in the family area of life which this is, is, a, is an area that uh, is very near and dear to me I think we have a picture to show you of my family these are my six daughters and my wife Yes, very fortunate and very, um, uh, my house is the house of drama. <laughs> God evidently knows that I need patience and so he gave me six daughters, my wife and I six daughters, to teach us patience. But you know, in family, my girls, do you know how they spell love? Love. Now, some of them, all of them actually are now in school. The twins who are back there, they are identical. They're in VPK. So they're in four-year-old kindergarten. My girls spell love a little bit differently than maybe a lot of other people do. They spell it like this. T-I-M-E. Time. So when we get into the family area of life, we talk about time and attention. And we talk about communication. Do you know what? What? In communication, you can talk to somebody, but they may not be hearing what you want to say. I know that I need to talk to my girls and my wife in the love language that they respond to. And they all have different love languages. Are you guys familiar with the five love languages? I see a lot of, a lot of heads nodding. If you're not, you may, be a, you may have to help me here. But one is quality time. That's my oldest daughter who is uh, in the blue shirt, Stephanie. Stephanie. She is a quality time girl. But there's other ones. There's acts of service. That's my wife. So when I get home from work, I, do, I start either helping with dinner or doing dishes. And I'll explain a little bit more of why I need to do that um, when we talk about the... the um, actually, here in just a few moments. But all my girls speak different love languages. So we have quality time. We have acts of service. We have gifts. My daughter Haley... Uh, in the white shirt she is gifts every time before I leave the house and I go on a trip she says dad will you bring me a rock okay what kind of it doesn't matter because what dad tells her is that while I was on a trip I was thinking about her so what there's two more right what are the other two words of affirmation I heard that words of affirmation That is Katie Rose. She's in the orange. Listen, if I say, man, Katie, and she always wants to show me all her papers that she did at school. She's in the fourth grade now. And uh, she comes home and it's a 100 or it's a 95 or it's whatever. I'm like, Katie, way to go. I'm proud of you. And you know what? You can just see her little body just, you know? Physical touch is the last one. That is Natalie. Natalie is also kind of a problem child. I think she has had more spankings than all the other girls combined. She's in the pink. She is six years old. And uh, she is either all happy or all sad. And when she's around dad, she doesn't want to be around dad. She wants to be on dad. And so we've started this tradition, which they kind of started. We do these different kinds of hugs every night. And they always want the down-under hug. No, it's not a hug that I learned in Australia. What they want to do is they jump from the ladder on one of the bunk beds, which I'll explain in a moment, and you'll understand why we have several sets of bunk beds in our home. They jump from the ladder and give me a hug. But then I have to put them over my shoulder, and without touching the ground, bring them down under my legs, and then back up, and then carry them like a princess, and put them in their bed which can be quite challenging with six, especially with some of the older girls who weigh a little bit more than some of the younger girls. But that's what they want every night. Now, Katie Rose, there's no real handle to grab onto, and she's kind of, she's about that tall now. And so I have her hold onto my neck while I carry her up so I can hang on to the ladder before I throw her in bed. But also with families, we need to have a team mentality. Creating a team mentality. My dad taught us both in our family and in our youth group, to be net givers and not net takers. A net taker is one who takes more than what they give. A net giver is one who gives more than they take. And our girls have learned this firsthand because about not quite five months ago, um, in our singles ministry, there was a mom, a single mom with three kids, pregnant with number four, um, that my wife had really befriended. And she got evicted from her apartment and she didn't know if her mom's house would be a safe place for the kids to stay. So she asked us. We had had them several times in our home before, up to a week at a time. And uh, so we agreed to watch the kids, three kids, ages at that time, five, four, and three. And so we agreed to watch the kids. But that, now, that's nine kids, okay, in our home. Ages 12, 11, Nine, six, five, four, 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 and three. In case you're wondering, that's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. But the mom was pregnant. At the end of September, she had number four, which put, and at this point in time, she was living with us as well. Until she could have the kids get back on her feet, she had some sicknesses and things going on. So now we have ten kids living in our home and a single mom. Well, as God you know, God writes stories, not me, um, the mom, two weeks after her baby was born, went into the hospital with a very high fever, had pneumonia, had some other things going on, ended up being in the hospital for two and a half weeks and, and died at the end of October. And so right now we have, we have ten kids living in our home and oftentimes a government worker more often than what you would care to know, in our home, making sure these four kids that we've had once again for four months um, before the mom before the mom died. But you know what? That takes our kids. It takes a team mentality. At her funeral, um, a week and a half ago, you know what? Do you know who? All the kids were crying. Not just her kids, but our kids too. Because it's a team as a family, and not just one or two parents doing all of this. We need to create a team mentality. The physical area of life is also an important, often overlooked area of our lives today. Now, this was something when we started having girls, ha- have you seen Beyond the Gates of Splendor? Show of hands, Beyond the Gates of Splendor, the documentary. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. End of the and Beyond the Gates. You can watch this free on Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, we have a few copies in our, in our booth, um, which is on the top floor all the way back in this corner. But I was sitting there with all members of all five of the families in a theater in our hometown of Ocala, and we're watching this on the big screen. It was the premiere. And we were getting towards the end of that documentary, and, and I looked at my wife, and I said, Who is that? And she looked at me like I was crazy. I've recognized everybody from this story the whole time through. I looked, I said, Who is it? And about that time my name came up on the screen. And I looked, I said, Oh my. I think we have another picture to show you. In fact, this is a picture that I carry in the front in the front folder of my Bible um, all the time. It's this picture right here. Is that up on the screen? Okay. In the back corner right here. In that striped shirt, that's me. Now that was about, let's see, last count, it was 48 pounds ago. And when I saw myself, now the camera they say adds 10 pounds. I really believe it added about 20 or 30 pounds. So when you watch it, if you haven't watched that already, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And I realized, okay, if I'm going to be a dad to my girls, I need to be fit and I'm not just talking about physically fit. Because oftentimes, I, I realize that as my girls grow up, they may fall for somebody who's physically fit. But they could also fall for somebody who's emotionally fit. Who's willing to talk to them and hear, listen to them. Or they could talk to somebody who is spiritually fit. So I realized that what I needed to do as a dad to my girls, in order to serve them, And to be an example to them, I needed to be not just spiritually fit, which I was working on, but also emotionally fit and physically fit. Because I didn't want my girls to fall for somebody who is one of those things and not all three. And so I started wanting to exercise. And I started by doing these bicycle crunches, starting with 20 to 25, three sets of that several times a week. I got up to the point where I was doing about four to 5,000 of those a week. And I said, I need something more. And some guys at my church were doing P90X. Anybody heard of P90X? Um, I, I recommend it, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> so I, I decided I would do P90X. Well, after doing that three times through, I said, I need something more. And so I decided to do, a buddy of mine was doing a half Ironman triathlon in 12 weeks from the time I talked to him. Any triathletes in the room? Uh, A few. Anybody done half-irons? Awesome. So I decided, was that your first triathlon? No. I would highly not recommend that. So here's what a half-iron man triathlon is. It is a 1.2 mile swim. And this happened to be in a lake. So no moving water, no current to help you. Then you do a 56 mile bike ride... Followed by a half marathon, 13.1 miles. Now, I trained for 11 weeks to do this. And because of an injury, an IT band injury, only five weeks on the run. I hadn't run a mile since high school. I hadn't been on a bike, a road bike, ever. Once again, I do not recommend this. And you know what? I did just fine through the swim. Felt great getting on the bike. Had a, had a good bike ride. All 56 miles of it. And you know what? When I got... I don't think we can actually call it a run. I did make it through the 13.1 miles, so I did finish. But you know what? I was miserable. I did not perform well. And I realized something. You know what? If we are going to go and do something, we need to have proper training in order to do it. And so now I combine P90X and triathlon training. So I do a couple days of P90X, the muscle workouts, and then I do a couple days of where I bike and then I run or swim and then I bike and then one long bike ride each week. Not so that I can be all of this and my wife can say, oh, hey, you're looking good today because, I don't know, somehow one of the things I've realized about women is while there's some of that that they like the physical look, it's really more the emotional and other things that they're drawn to. And all the ladies in the room said, yeah. <laughs> I've learned a few things having, having as many women in my house as I do. But I want my girls to not fall for somebody who is just fit physically. I want myself, my life to be an example. And you know what? I fail all the time. I fail them all the time. I fail God all the time. But do you know what? That's why the process that we know is sanctification. That's why it is a process and not a moment in time. There's a moment in time where we are justified, where we accept Christ as our Savior. There's going to be a moment in time where we are glorified, we receive a new body. In between that is a difficult process called sanctification. It's trials. But James tells us, man, be happy. When we have trials that come into our life, because trials grow us, and more and more, as more and more trials come, they conform us into the image of Christ. And when I, when my girls see me, I don't want them to see me; I want them to see Christ in me. Then the then the uh, social area of life. Now, the social area is one where we oftentimes fail as well. As a Christ follower. The temptation is, okay, what I need to do is I need to be bringing a lot of people up with me. And it is true. But I also need to be challenged by people who are ahead of me in the spiritual walk. So that I have challenges in my life, people who are examples to me, who are discipling and mentoring me as I mentor and disciple others behind me. And I need people who are in the same stage of life, so that iron can be sharpening iron as we walk through life together. The Christian life is not one that we've been called to walk alone. Minkai said this, I think, best when he was speaking with my dad and my dad was translating and Minkai said this to, I think it was a Stephen Kirst Chapman concert, but he said, I do not see it well that we walk God's trail. And he waited for my dad to translate. My dad said, well, that's not good theology. He was not wanting to translate it But Minkai was more patient than my dad, so my dad finally translated it. And then Minkai said this, alone. I do not see it well that we walk God's trail alone. So we need to have quality friendships. We need to be a friend to somebody, but we also need to have quality friendships in our life. People who are calling us up and people that we are calling up. Have you noticed that you become like the people that you hang around You pick up some mannerisms or a word or a phrase. So we need to be careful about who we hang around. Social networking. Now, I do have a Facebook account. I am not against Facebook. But we need to be careful that our only friends are not ones that are on a social network. It used to be, that would, when we wanted to have a friendship, we would go over to somebody's house, we'd sit on their front porch, unless it's as cold as it is here in Louisville, Kentucky, and if they were nice, they'd bring lemonade, and if they were really nice, they'd have some chocolate chip cookies or brownies to bring out, right? But you know, talking and visiting and spending time together has been replaced by texting, tweeting, and Facebooking. If I were to ask you how many friends you have, are you going to say, well, 972? That's maybe how many friends you have on Facebook, but how many true friends do you have? Friendships take time and attention. And you know what? Friendships, and in this whole social area of life, we need to be careful about distractions that can take place. I do have an iPhone, but I've found that my iPhone oftentimes takes me away from quality interaction. It's the good robbing from the great. Sometimes we need to be with people and not just be with them. Not in the same room, but actually engaged. And sometimes that means we turn off the phone or we leave it in the car. I don't recommend flushing it in the toilet, though sometimes that would probably be nice to do. But how many quality friendships do you have where you actually turn off your phone and you sit and you engage. you know how long it takes you to be a friend to somebody? Less than two minutes. But here's how you do it. You ask questions about them. About what interests them. About what they like to do. About where they like to go. Getting it off of me and onto you. That's how you become a quality friend to somebody. And I found there was one time I was in a grocery store. And I have a tendency to ask people questions. And so, as we were checking out, we just had a few things for lunch at iTech. And as we were checking out, I asked the lady, I said, or she asked me, Hi, how are you? I said, good, how are you? Right? Like we do in church, like we do all over the place. And she said, good. I said, now are you just telling me that or are you really doing good? So said, well, actually, I'm kind of having a kind of bad day. I said, really? What's going on? She started to tell me about her boyfriend who didn't have a job and some things. Two minutes in checking out at the grocery store. And then she stops. She says, who are you? Are you a reporter or something? Why are you asking me all these questions? And I told her this. I said, no. I said, we're actually just, you know, we have an organization. We're five miles from here at the dunn Airport. Um, It's called ITEX Life university. Now it's the iTech's Life Focus. And I said, and what we're doing is we're just, you know, we help people. in you know, all areas of life. And we left. One week later, there was a knock on our office door. And it was the lady who had checked us out. And we still go by and say hi to her every once in a while at Walmart. And she was there with her boyfriend. She says, hey, you guys came and, um, I talked to you a week ago at Walmart. You came through my line and you do something to help people. Can you help my boyfriend? He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have all these things. And you know what? My buddy Jim began to life coach him. Through that process, he helped him set some goals and achieve some goals. And he was able to share the love of Christ with him. From the position of credibility, because he he had invested his time into this man. But also there's the intellectual area of life. Reading is for the brain what exercise is for the body. There's also technology today. Man, you can go, you can make your car. I have a 24-mile commute to work one way. But I go both ways because my wife needs me at home at night. So that's a lot of time in a car. But you know what? Podcasts, you can get a podcast on virtually any subject that, you wanna, that you're want that you interested in. I like listening to Robbie Zacharias. He challenges me. I also like listening to Dave Ramsey. Those are the, typically the two podcasts that I listen to. All the people who call Dave Ramsey's radio program, with all the problems in the world, and then I like when they say, you know, do the yell, I'm debt free. Um, love it. But you know, when we talk about technology, there's also some distractions and some, some things that can't be negative in the area of technology, like TV and the Internet. And I've realized in my home I need to put some safeguards around the Internet, because now on any iPod, on any iPad, on any device, you can be online, and I need to protect my girls from where they go. On my own devices, I have a, a software program called Triple X Church, or 3X Church. And what that does, it allows me, I can go anywhere on the internet that I want to go. It just e- emails my wife on any questionable sites that I go to. Guess what? I don't go to those sites. Do you know why? Because my wife is going to find out about it. And happy wife, happy life, which means unhappy wife, you get the, you get the story. We were on a trip recently up to Ohio. Um, where's Kathy? Is Kathy still in here? No. Um, what does that mean? Does that mean I have what? Oh, really? We're okay. Uh, good, because I'm almost done. We're on a trip to, up to Ohio, and we had a long drive. And you know what we listened to? We listened to anybody watch Duck Dynasty. Yeah, I I did trim my beard to come here, um, but. We listened to the book that Willie and his wife wrote, Corey, I believe is her name, that they wrote about the whole family history. And it was great because it made time go by and we were learning and we were, it was just fun. So that's intellectual, but spiritual is the foundation. And see, when I sit down and I life coach somebody, I'm able to share, go through all these different areas and as they see improvements in their life, by the time they see all these improvements, then I share with them the spiritual, that this The whole program is really from the Word of God. See, they can deny changes in my life that I would tell them about, but they can't deny changes when they see it in their life. And I tell them that all the changes that you see in your life are because of the Bible. They can't deny what's happened. The spiritual is the foundation. Listen, I wrote this down because this is key and I I want to leave you with this. We developed this material to help ordinary people set and achieve goals in their lives while giving Christians, Christ followers, the opportunity to develop a meaningful relationship and an intentional way to share their faith in Christ with the lost people around them. Am I, with, am I about missions? Yes, I am. You need to do missions. As Brian Fickert and I were talking this morning in an interview that we're doing for the Missions Dilemma, he um, He said, I'm not against mission trips, but I don't think we should call them short-term missions. I think we should call them short-term trips. We call them vision trips. I'm all about it. But let's not, let's not you, let's not me. Let's not forget about the other 50 weeks. And let's live intentionally every single day while focusing eternally. That's what life and ITEC's life focus stands for. Living intentionally, focusing eternally. Thank you for your time. I know we're out of time now. Please, if you are interested in that material, we do have that material available. We're developing more material. Um, Come by the booth and talk to us about it. All right? Thanks for being here.